Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 42, and I'm happy to tell you that Heather is back. If you've been listening to the podcast, you will recognize my friend Heather back from episode 35, where we talked about a ton of stuff, including how we met, the Ragged 75 stage race, power walking, and most importantly, at the time when we recorded that episode, her upcoming FKT attempt on the Cohost Trail. So she did the thing and she's back to actually talk about it. So I don't want to delay it any further. Here is my chat with Heather all about her FKT. Okay, you guys, well, I'm back here with Heather and I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to have this conversation. I was sending Heather messages and following, keeping up with her stories as she was out on her FKT attempt. And if you guys are just jumping into this episode, like you just found the podcast, you just downloaded this episode, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode 35, where Heather outlines her whole mission here, this FKT attempt, the who, what, where, when, why. So go back and listen to that one and then come back and hear how it went. So Heather, uh, I, again, I'm super excited that you're here. I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can say it enough because <laughs> I really was excited to hear that you were doing this thing. And I think it's really cool that you're coming back to kind of share that experience. And because you don't often get like the full download, you might get like the post Instagram, you know, the post recap, uh, that kind of just shares one little nugget of this experience. And I'm excited for people to be able to hear the whole thing. So just real quick, before we kind of dive in, just remind people what you were doing, what the objective was just to kind of put, you know, bring it top of mind. It was a couple episodes ago. So just want to kind of remind people what it was all about. So uh, I had a bucket list item to hike the Coas Trail, which is a 170-mile trail, 180. It depends on how you do it. Um, and it runs from the Canadian border in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, down into one of the notches, which is Crawford Notch. So my goal was to start it at the Canadian border and hike it southbound, or SOBO, if you're using the acronym. Um, and I had set a goal to do it in 10 days. And if I had completed it, I would have been the first, uh, uh, sorry, first self-supported female to complete that trail. Um, and I made it a full eight days before I made the decision uh, to get off trail due to some factors that were beyond my control. And just uh, to put it into context, how far away from the finish line, the self-imposed finish line were you? I do terrible math. So I had hiked 142 of the 170. So I, I think that I would have been at around that 180 because there were a couple of points in which I came off trail to hike to overnight locations. So, but I was logging all of that mileage, which is what would be pretty typical. Mm -hmm. so, okay. So let's kind of break it down. So did you drive yourself to the start or did you have somebody drive you there? Like how did you do a little of the logistics for us to help us understand that? For sure. So I drove to the Southern Terminus, which was Davis Path in Crawford Notch. And I had hired a woman named Mora, who runs a shuttle surface in the North Country. Uh, she's Mora at your service. And she took me the next two and a half hours up to Pittsburgh. So she grabbed me at my car. She, she's fantastic. She makes sure that you have 
you know, your maps are downloaded, you have any medication, any things that, anything that you need. Uh, this is what she does. She drives hikers. And she took me the rest of the way to the Northern Terminus. She was so cute too. We got there to the border patrol station and they're used to seeing her. So they don't uh. even come out and talk to her anymore. <laughs> um, but she walked me to the trailhead and took a couple pictures along the way. Oh, so, so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, How did you something find that her? She does. Huh? How did you find her? Uh, she is, she's got a pretty big Facebook presence. Um, so if you follow any of the 4,000 footer pages or the, uh, friends of the co-op trail, um, Facebook group, she posts, um, about her shuttle service. She's, um, she's a character. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll link her up in the show notes too, for anybody who's interested so that they can, cause that that's cool. I didn't even know that existed, but in thinking about it now, there's gotta be somebody that helps get all the hikers from point A to point B and drop one car and pick one car up. So that's, that's pretty cool. Cause typically if you wanted to do, um, like a presidential traverse or, you know, any of the point to point hikes and you were with somebody else, you would need to put a car at each end, but she actually will pick you up at what's going to be your, uh, your end point and drive you to the start. So, um, she's, like I said, she's gotten quite popular in the North country and I highly recommend her service. So she and I, she and I became new BFFs on our way to Pittsburgh. Well, you had two and a half hours. So exactly. Like, we got to know each other. Time. And I'm sure she's probably got a lot of great stories from other hikers. Oh and yeah. Just, you know, just a wealth of knowledge. Definitely. So. And cool. you know, the, I decided that I wasn't going to put in big miles on day one. So I got to Crawford Notch around eight, Maura picked me up and I started at 1120 in the morning. Um, now, mind you, I had been in the car since 6am. So I knew my legs were going to be tight. I was going to be slow to get going and it was hot. So my plan for day one was to keep it under 10 miles, which I did successfully do. So I tried to keep um, the pressure on myself low just to get my legs under me. Um, so day one ended up being 8.5 miles and just under a thousand feet of gain. Cool. And then just talk to me a little bit about your pack, like what you were carrying, how much weight it was. You know, you don't have to go into like extreme detail about everything, but kind of just give us an idea of what you had, what you were carrying, all that jazz. Yeah. So um, I had a 60 liter pack and that enabled me to be able to carry um, my sleeping quilt, which was my sleep system, part of my sleep system, um, a sleeping pad, a sit pad, uh, my tent, my cook system, five days worth of food, and then uh, change of clothes to sleep in, rain gear. Um, I had the spot tracker that we talked about in the last um, episode, you know, a battery charging device, some of the miscellaneous items like that, as well as um, while I had the map downloaded on my phone and I was able to use it on the Avenza app offline, I also had the backup paper map. Um, so I had all of my first aid kit. So I also had the safety stuff with me too. So pack weight when I started was 29 pounds with uh, my water carry. And my water carry was just shy of three liters when I was full. That doesn't seem like so. a lot of weight. I was expecting you to tell me more. Yeah. So I've spent the last several years acquiring light gear. Um, and I, I'm not going to go as far as calling myself ultralight because those people are just, that, that's a new level of extreme. So I would call myself a 
lightweight luxury hikers. <laughs> <laughs> so for instance, I carried a, um, a sit pad, a Thermarest Z pad, and I wasn't going to bring it. So I normally sleep on an inflatable pad that goes underneath my sleeping bag or underneath my quilt. So that's what I lay on. But I hemmed and hawed about bringing this, um, the Thermarest pad with me. And I'm so glad that I did because I was able to use it to lay on um, at my campsite at night. So I was able to do like legs up the wall using a tree with this pad. And I was able to just do some stretching and relaxing and some writing. So I am so happy that I decided to bring that and I attached it to the outside of my pad. So, or outside of my pack. So anytime I took a break in the middle of the day, I just took it off and I laid on it, took my shoes off, relaxed. So I think that was a hugely important for this trip. That's awesome. Is to carry that one luxury item. So so you did just shy of, or you just did about 10 miles on day one. Yep. And then you camped where? So from the border, my goal for that night was Deer Mountain Campground in Pittsburgh, which is a, a state-run campground. Um, so I had booked a site there and um, literally just walked in. There's, <laughs> there's nobody on duty. Um yeah, you know, with the state park, the state parks, you know how they put your name on your campsite. So I was all set. Um, what I didn't know about Deer Mountain is that they didn't have a water source in the campground. So I ended up walking back out of the campground about a quarter mile down the road to a, a pretty, pretty good flowing stream. So I ended up filtering my water that I needed, um, cleaning up for the night because uh, hygiene for me is a thing. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so um, using the stream, cleaning up, and then um, this is when the heat really started to build. So when I originally planned to do this particular two weeks, the weather was looking amazing. And then it took a turn uh, about 48 hours before I started. So it was warm. <laughs> to say the least, I remember thinking like, oh man, she is going to be so hot. Like hopefully oh, yeah. a lot of that trail was undercover yeah, you could kind of time it accordingly to kind of be off your feet and in the shade during peak heat. Exactly. Um, was this that campsite where the people ran the car all night long? <laughs> yes. I saw this on your stories and I was just like, what the heck is going <laughs> Tell what happened there? So in Deer Mountain Campground, it's all your traditional, um, your tent sites with this one little cabin that you can rent. So when I when I came in, I realized I was directly across from the cabin and there were um, two adult men and what I believed was their mother um, hanging out with them. And they were fine. Like, you never know if you're going to get like a group that's partying. And they were they were pretty quiet. Um, so I had crawled into my tent right around dark. And, you know, I didn't expect to sleep because it takes me a little bit to get used to, you know, being back out and sleeping in my tent. So I eventually fell asleep, but I was awoken up around 11 o'clock at night by what I thought was a generator being started. So I thought to myself, oh, maybe they're running an air conditioner or something in this cabin. So didn't give it a whole lot of thought until I woke up the next morning and realized I could still hear it. And when I climbed out of my tent, they had the Jeep was running. <laughs> So I don't know if someone got hot and decided to sleep in the Jeep all night or what was going on, but, or if they started the Jeep and then didn't end up leaving, 
but the Jeep was still running in the morning. Well, at least so, it didn't, and, like, at least the headlights weren't, like, shining into your tent. Or, no. like, it wasn't <laughs> keeping you awake. Like, that was... Oh, no. That's what I thought you were kind of intimating at, that, like, the thing had kept you awake all night yeah. long. <laughs> it, you know, the great part about this trail is that the whole northern section, I could have stayed in just shelters the whole way. But I, I made the decision that I was going to do a blend of shelters and a blend of campgrounds. Um to keep the mileage where I wanted it to be. So it was either do a really long day one and end up at a shelter or do a, you know, that, that just about nine mile day and end up at a campground. So it's a crapshoot because you never know who your neighbors are going to be. Yeah, true. So day <laughs> two, what was the plan for day two? Get up. What time did you get up? Like I got up early. So I was up early and I was out of the camp. Um, I think I was out of the camp by 6.30 or 6.45. Um, and I knew that day two was going to be a long day. So I ended up doing, uh, my goal was to go from Deer Mountain Campground to Lake Francis Campground, which is another state park. And I knew that this day was going to be um, over 20 miles. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit. The paper map that's produced by the Coast Trail is it's a first edition map. And what I figured out pretty quickly was that the mileage on the map didn't necessarily match the mileage in the data book that I was using. So when I had drafted out my plan that I had left at home and had given to friends and was using as my guide, it wasn't quite accurate. It was a little shy on the mileage. So I started to figure that out. And day two was when I was like, oh, <laughs> my mileage isn't right. So it was supposed to be um, just shy of a 20 mile day ended up be, being 24 and a half miles. Ish. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, 2,800 feet of gain. That's a pretty significant um, day. Day one was interesting because I'm still try I was still trying to dial in my pack, you know, essentially get it to fit properly where I needed it to on my hips and my shoulders. Um, so, and I felt unbalanced all day because I just, I didn't have my pack legs yet, my sea legs. Day two got better as the day went on. I started to dial that in and figure out um, where my pack needed to sit to be comfortable. Um, so I, I have to say I was very successful in figuring that out. Um, but day two is, <laughs> day two is, um, I'm looking back at my journal and it starts out with, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Today was just hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got rained on a couple of times and in between the rain, it would get really hot and humid. Mm. So just, I really started to battle the elements on day two. Mm, yeah. I think we can all relate to that at some point, whether it's like a hike or a run where you start out thinking it's going to be one way and then mm. you go through, it's almost like you, you see all of the seasons or like a, just a wide variety of weather in, you know, a chunk of time and being up in the white mountains, that'll definitely, that's a, that's a prime place for that to happen. You know, people set out on hikes up there on, you know, Mount Washington or even some of the smaller peaks and they set out with the inappropriate gear or no mm -hmm. gear at all, but that's a whole other topic for another time but yeah. like you really have to bring um you know this this kind of is a bigger topic of like being prepared um 
and and not even necessarily on an, a big effort like this FKT, like even just going out for your long, let's say, you know, 10 or 20 mile training run, you know, mm-hmm. having ample food, having ample water, having a little bit of first aid, having, you know, a, a road ID, like we talked about before, having yep. a, like some extra cash on you, um, you know, just simple things that you can do to set yourself up for success and help you know, help you versus hinder you if something were to happen, you know? So yeah, for sure. Yeah. For having, having those types of things. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you having very methodically thought through all of these things had, you know, a contingency plan upon contingency plan and like mm-hmm. for whatever might've happened, including none, like the least of which was probably, well, as we'll get to a little bit later, but like the weather is a huge factor in how far, how fast, how long you can go. So day two was hot and humid. Did that carry over (laughs) into day three? Like, was it a multi-day streak? Yeah. It was the beginning of the hot and humid and the the point in which um, my clothes basically never dried out. Um, My shoes never dried out. So it it was the beginning of the wet. Um, You know, we talked about doing the repetitions, right? So practicing and, uh, you know, practicing for anything that could come up. I really felt as if I had done enough repetitions that as stuff started to pop up, like for instance, I developed um, a blister on both feet in the same spot on the ball of my foot that I had never had before. Um, I think now looking back at it, it probably had to do with the pack weight and changing the pressure um, in my feet. And, you know, quite frankly, doing this trail, it, it's a lot of up, um, you know, over the course of those 142 miles, I did over 24,000 feet of climbing with a pack that was anywhere between probably 24 and 29 pounds, depending on what I was carrying on my back. So I think that that pressure translated to brand new blisters, but having been there before having to doctor blisters in the middle of a hundred mile race, I was able to deal with those things on the fly and keep moving through them. Like I actually put a note on this particular day that my feet are now trashed like hundred mile trash <laughs> <laughs> on day two. Uh-huh. So I'm like, uh-huh. so I, I knew this was going to be hard. Um, but again, it was like practicing all those mindset things and contingency plans. So when your feet are trashed on day two, what are you telling yourself, you know, and how is it? Cause I think this is a pretty, this is a common thing, um, maybe not for most people thinking about this from an FKT perspective, but you know, thinking about it from uh, a 50k perspective or 50 miler or 50 or, or 100 miler, um, you know, you have something happen early on, and in your case, you had the majority of your miles left to go. Like, what are you thinking? What are you saying to yourself? Like, how are you kind of managing your mind this early on in the game? So I've always told myself that, um, you know, no matter how hard it gets, it always changes, right? So if you can do things to mitigate what's going on, you will usually, there'll be a turn of some sort um, that you can usually, you know, you can draw some positivity out of. So for me, like, I know how to deal with blisters. I know what works for me to take care of them. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but not uncomfortable enough to stop me. So you know, the things that I was focusing on were get into camp, get my shoes off. I carried, um, I actually carried a set of dollar store flip-flops with me so that I could pull my shoes and socks off, get stuff to, you know, try to dry out, but also get my feet to dry out. 
And once they were dry, I was able to give them the attention that they needed, get off of them, get my legs up the wall, um, you know, get some of that fluid to drain. And, you know, those are the things that kept me going day after day. Um, and again, you have to, you have to practice that so that you can know what it feels like to have it suck and move through it. (laughs) So, um, it's funny. I, I actually wrote in my journal on this day, it, I wrote, it's crazy dash with all my experience and training. I still doubt my ability. I doubted if I could pull off today at all. Um, and then I wrote, the reality is I'm freaking strong, but I still doubt if I can make it to Percy on Sunday. So while I'm moving along and telling myself, you can do this, I'm still battling the little nagging voice that's saying, you can't do this. You're crazy. Like, and the reality is I did do it. I did it over and over and over again. Um, so it, it's just a testament to the fact that we all battle those little demons. And I think that's really important to highlight. It's not... This is this kind of thing isn't exclusive to people that are new. It's not Mm-mm. exclusive to people that are kind of in the middle, like maybe have some experience but not quite yet a lot. It's it's happens across the spectrum. Like you'll probably interview and hear interviews from the pros that have the same thoughts that kind of pop up and the only difference in my mind between all of us And the people that are successful in kind of moving forward and achieving their goals and the people that are unsuccessful in doing that is this management of the mind. And for sure, no matter how, you know, you can, you can practice a ton and still have this kind of nagging little voice at the back of your head that says, but what if, or Mm -hmm. am I capable or any number of very defeating (laughs) (laughs) and not supportive things. Um, But I think like just recognize being able to kind of like, what I always think about is like pulling back, like zooming out from that and kind of being able to see the bigger picture and acknowledging, yes, that thing or that voice exists, but it isn't true. And it's not true because you have hopefully this whole bank of experience and practice that you can go back to and say, well, look, I've done this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's really kind of the, the definition I think of self-confidence. It's like building confidence in your own ability to have done the thing. And sure, if you're just starting out, like this is your first FKT attempt, but it's not your first hike. Right. (laughs) So you have a whole wealth of experience hiking and running and doing ultras and doing all of these other things that can inform and be good predictors of your ability to achieve this specific outcome. Exactly. It just goes to show how that experience can be translatable into different things. Um, You know, I, I love doing distance. And again, I've done multiple 20 mile days on my feet. So I know what that feels like. This was, this was definitely new. This is the longest I had gone with a weighted pack. Um, but again, I was able to dig deep when I needed to. Um, and each day, like if I look back at my journal, there were days, there were parts of the days that I, that were absolutely amazing. So even though I got poured on, you know, the sun would come out and I take some pictures and, you know, that whole northern section of the state is an area I haven't really explored. And it's absolutely beautiful. And like the locals up there. So they're amazing. Like anytime you did a road walk 
on, you know, like these dirt roads and there was a car that would go by or an ATV, they'd always say, you know, good luck on your hike. Do you need anything? Um, they're just very, they very much embrace the hiker culture up there, which was part of the fun. So was this the longest day over the course of all eight days that you were out there? No, I had, I had one day that was longer than that. Um, and that was by choice. Um, I had decided that I had had a plan that I was going to push through and make it to Stark, New Hampshire on day six so that I could pick up a food resupply. And I had a room booked at a lodge at the Percy Lodge that night. And, you know, I was playing with the amount of food that I had in my pack and whether or not I wanted to try to call the lodge and push my reservation out a night or if I was going to do another big day. Because, again, I figured out once I got on trail that the mileage on the map was a little off. So, so it ended up I had a, I had a big day on day five, which was, uh, ended up being 26.8. So that was my biggest day on trail. So day two, hot and humid, rain, the full gamut worth of weather. You got your, your wet clothes, blisters, the whole nine yards. You Did you get some sleep on night two? I did. I ended up at Lake Francis and I had booked a, they had one shelter, um, which essentially is just like a three-sided lean-to. Um, so I pitched my tent inside so I could sleep inside the netted portion of it. So it, the bugs weren't bad, but there were some mosquitoes at night. So I got a little, I got better sleep that night, mostly because I was just exhausted at that point. (laughs) Um, woke up, my clothes were still wet. I, this is when I started to feel like I was living like a hobo out of my backpack. (laughs) Cause I'm literally cleaning my clothes in the shower with me. Yep. So I woke up, my clothes had not dried overnight. So I ended up wandering down to the um, the office, which had a laundry area, um, and threw my clothes in the dryer. So I started my day with dry clothes, which were wet within an hour. Oh, geez. <laughs> because it was so humid. Um, so day three uh, was probably one of my most favorite days on trail. Um, I hiked from Lake Francis Campground to Rudy's Campground. And Rudy's is owned by a woman named Kathleen, and it's just a tiny little campground in Clarksville on the Clarksville Pond. So I had, uh, I did 15.3 miles that day and just under 1,400 feet of gain and made it to Rudy's. Um, That was the day that at home was a heat advisory Mm. uh, predicted a high of 99 for that day. Oh, right, right. We had a high of 85, but, you know, again, high humidity. Um, so I made it to Rudy's around one o'clock and uh, Kathleen is wonderful. She has this big like tent set up at the pond for hikers. So big enough that you could pitch like three or four tents underneath this tent. Oh, cool. So I had met up with two other through hikers and we spent the rest of the afternoon and the evening just literally relaxing. Um, there's a a woman named Mary there who lives there in the summertime, and she brings um, snacks and sodas and water and beer to the hikers oh, free cool. of charge. <laughs> so, so I was able to do laundry, take another shower, um, hung out with Mary, got to meet a couple through hikers, and that was that was just an awesome day because the the heat was so bad. 
um, that I was able to get off trail before it got to the worst point of the day. So where were these other people coming from or going to? Do you remember? They started a day ahead of me and I had run into them the night before at Lake Francis. Oh, okay. Um, through hikers are easy to spot. <laughs> you know, they're the ones with no cars at their campsite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, um, we had met that night and then we both ended up at Rudy's. Uh, they left a little earlier than me, uh, but we ended up at Rudy's within about a half an hour of each other. And um, they were from, um, it was two friends, guy and a girl, and they were from Vermont and New York. Um, so this is what they do. They go out and do long trails with each other a couple times a year. That's fun. Yeah, I think yeah. it's always fun when you meet people either on trail or in a race and you learn, you know, where they're from and how yeah. you all ended up in the same place at the same time doing the same right. crazy things, right? And having a common love of long trails and running, you know, there's always something to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So that must <laughs> so. have been really relaxing getting to like hang out, be, yes. have a good shelter, have a shower. And that for yep. me, I think, you know, I could probably go like a couple days, you know, but depending on the heat and the humidity, I think to your point, hygiene is, would be a big thing for me too. Just being able to like, you know, splash some water on my body yeah. and feel like I had some semblance of, you know, normal cleanliness. Like cleanliness. So the mini shower, um, that, that would be a huge one for me, but it must've been nice to have that day like just have a break and meet other yeah. people and get some snacks and some. So what were you eating for food? So you packed like five days worth of food. We hadn't really talked yep. much about that. Like, what were you eating? Did you make your own meals? Did you buy pre like freeze dried meals? Like what was that uh, all about? Yes. Yeah, so I essentially assembled my own meals. So what I have figured out over time is like, I don't mind oatmeal day after day. So for instance, I'll, I can take you through like a typical day. Yeah, sure. So, um, breakfast for me always starts with instant coffee. Like I, instant coffee is generally terrible. I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I need the caffeine shot first thing in the morning. So instant coffee. Um, I went to the dollar store and they had single serving powdered packets of hazelnut creamer. So mm. single serving instant coffee, single serving of creamer got the job done. Um, and then I was using, uh, Quaker Oats makes a protein um, oatmeal packet. So double packet of oatmeal um, was breakfast. And I was throwing um, either raisins or I got a big bag of freeze-dried fruit from Trader Joe's. So throwing handfuls of that. And I assembled all my meals using Mylar bags and those little um, moisture packets. Hmm. So everything was packaged that way um, because I could also eat out of the Mylar bag. I could add the hot water directly to the Mylar bag and I could eat out of it. I had a little cozy, cozy thing that I had bought. So breakfast was oatmeal. And then what I would do is I would hike the first five miles of the day, stop, take a break, and I would have an um, instant breakfast packet to get some vitamins and a little bit more liquid calories into me. Um, so you would usually stop at a place where I was filtering water, um, would just do the, the check-in on my gear, you know, check-in on my feet, um, have some more calories. And then that would usually tide me over with a snack or two until lunchtime. Um, snacks were anything from nuts to fruit, leather, granola bars. Um, that was, that was basically my typical snacks. I carried successfully an entire package of uh, tortillas. 
without them getting mangled. Yes, without them getting mangled, moldy, disgusting. So um, I would do either a package of tuna, flavored tuna packets or chicken packets um, and make a tuna or chicken wrap for lunch. Um, So I was getting protein, I was getting carbohydrates. um, And what I also figured out is adding something to my water throughout the day, whether it was going to be scratch or something as simple, again, back to the dollar store, they had like the energy drink packets, but like it was a peach mango and it was delicious. So whenever I knew I had a big climb coming, I would make up a bottle of that and just sip on it. Uh, Had a little bit of caffeine in it. So just changed up what I was drinking throughout the day. Uh, So that would be lunch. Again, snack until I got in uh, for dinner. And then dinners were a combination of, uh, I would do like ramen and um, I found a bean soup. So I would, I would combine, I combined those. Um, so it gave me again, the, the salt and the carbs. Um, some of my dinners, I made a um, Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> which was a combination of, um, so it was potato. So potato flakes, like those instant potato packets, stuffing, chicken stuffing, little bit of powdered gravy and then a chicken packet all mixed together and let it set up. And it was literally Thanksgiving dinner. That's awesome. (laughs) What I wish I honestly had done differently with the heat is do a little bit more cold soaking options because sometimes making hot meals when it was still 80 degrees out was a little bit hard to get down. Yeah. Um, But I needed the calories and I, I needed the carbs. So Overall, the food tasted great. I didn't get sick of what I was eating, but the the hot food options were a little bit much. That's a that's a good insight because it's probably not something that you would that I would think of ahead of time. Like, oh, you know, I just think dinner. You want yeah. something, you know, it's a warm meal. But yeah. yeah, to your point, if you've been hiking in the heat and the humidity all day every day for now, we're you know three or four days into it. The, probably one of the last things you want is to add more heat to the body. <laughs> exactly. One of the best things I did, I um, I went by Young's Convenience Store on day two, and I popped in there, and I was a couple miles from the campground, and I grabbed a big container of grapes, mm-hmm. and I ended up sticking them um, underneath the the top flap of my pack so that they wouldn't get crushed, mm-hmm. and. I ate the entire container that night when I got settled in and they were delicious and they were cold. Um, So, you know, I was definitely craving fresh stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, but I did overall, I did a pretty good job of integrating some freeze dried fruit, um, some vegetables that bean soup I talked about had freeze dried vegetables in it. So I felt like I was getting something Mm -hmm. um, to satisfy those needs, but the hot food got to be a little bit much. And I would imagine the variety of things is important too, because I know how I get even during, you know, a 50 K or a 50 miler where if it's, you're sipping on tailwind, you, by the time you're done with that race, you never yeah. want to drink tailwind again, <laughs> you know, exactly. like you get tired of the same bars or chews or whatever yep. it is. So I would think that having some sort of variety in terms of what you're to your point, what you were drinking with those like peach um, electrolyte or drink packets all the way through, yeah. you know, the different types of oatmeal that the freeze dried fruit is such a great idea. Cause I can mm. see that being, you know, lightweight, but also packing a punch in terms of flavor so that it's not Definitely. just the same 
bland like wallpaper paste <laughs> for right, breakfast, exactly. right? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was no, it was definitely worth doing. And I had um I had calculated my mileage so that I could hit um the few stores that are in the North Country to resupply so that I could add a little bit of variety to what I was eating too. Um, and at that point it was, my plan was just buy what looked good, mm-hmm. buy what I was craving mm-hmm. to sort of supplement what I had. Yeah. Good. So, um, I, from a nutrition standpoint, I never felt, um, like I wasn't getting enough food. I definitely packed enough food. Um, and while the weight was a little heavy to, to begin with, it would go down quickly. Um, and I was packing food that for the most part needed to be rehydrated to eat. Mm. So that definitely allowed me to carry a lot of calories mm-hmm. in a small amount of space. And that's probably what contributed to your, the lightness of your pack too, versus carrying <laughs> definitely. whole containers of grapes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for prolonged periods yeah. of time. I'm literally walking down this ATV trail. I've got a Pepsi in one hand, my poles in the other. I can hear the grapes crunching. <laughs> <Rattling>. in. <laughs> like I said, I definitely started to feel like a bit like a hobo after a while. You got to get the full just... experience though. Oh man, it was just gross. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that bring us to? Day four? Day, uh, yeah, day four. So... This was a 20 mile day, 20 and a half mile day. And um, I actually hiked that day, um, shared some miles with the two through hikers that I had met. This day was also incredibly hot. So our plan for that day was to get up early. We started hiking, um, it was between 6.30 and 7. Miles were absolutely gorgeous. They weren't technical at all. So it was a lot of ATV trails. We wove our way through some farmland at 2000 feet, which is just beautiful. Um, and our midpoint of the day was Coleman state park, which has a big, beautiful lake or pond. And what we did was we rolled into there. It was shady. So we took a two hour break in the middle of the day, let the sun sort of get to its peak and then start to come back down a little bit. So reorganized our packs, dried out a lot of our stuff because just the humidity was keeping things wet. Um, So we took a two hour break in the middle of the day. And then probably the toughest part of this day is that the water source in relationship to the shelter was um, two miles away. So I ended up hauling three liters of water up to the shelter and it was, it was still really hot out. Um, so that day was, that was the, probably the most challenging part of that day. Um, but the shelter was beautiful. It's called Panorama Mm. and again, three-sided lean to with a wooden floor. Um, I did the same thing. I set my, my tent up inside and we were awoken the next morning to a thunderstorm. Oh boy. Um, it was neat though, because like the, the metal roof, like the, the rain just coming down, um, it was, it was neat to be sitting inside my tent and listening to that thunderstorm roll through. Yeah. And not be out there hiking but, through it. Not, exactly. <laughs> so did you delay your start because of the rain? I did. Yeah. I started, um, so this was the, so that was, yeah, 20, 20 and a half miles from Rudy's to Panorama. So I woke up the next morning and I actually called that day, a uh, tale of three notches. So <laughs> this day just fought me the whole way. This day just definitely tried everything um, from a, a patient's perspective because mm. I wanted to get started early. 
And I didn't get to start until about eight o'clock that morning because of the thunderstorm. And because the thunderstorm had happened, the clothes that had dried a little bit and my shoes that had dried a little bit were instantly soaked again mm. at the start of my day. Yeah. Oh, so frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, this is probably my favorite journal entry of that entire trip. Oh, read it to us. All right. So uh, it starts off with, and I would journal at the end of my day. Um, so to set the the stage, I wrote this as I was, while I was relaxing and getting ready to climb into my tent at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I went from the panorama shelter to the old hermit shelter. And I made a game time decision in the afternoon to push on to old hermit. I could have stopped at um, one of the other shelters for the night, but I decided I looked at the map. Um, I checked in with my husband and I'm like, I'm going to push through. So that's what I ended up doing. And I ended up finishing in the dark. Mm. So started about eight o'clock and finished in the dark. So my journal entry starts with, holy shit, am I stupid? (laughs) (laughs) I just, (laughs) I just laid down an insane day to get to Stark tomorrow. Out of five days, I've had three days over 20 miles. Mm. Fuck. (laughs) I I did a damn marathon today with an overnight pack, muddling through six inches of water almost all day, not a joke, on about five hours of sleep. And then the next line says, in capital letters, who the fuck am I? <laughs> so, I love I love when people keep, and I do this too sometimes, I keep journals about these types of things because, you know, you... I think in the moment we have such good reflections on them because the memories are raw Raw. and real and like it just happens. So you're, you're, you're going to be very true and real about what you say. And then as time passes, like you still hit the high notes of what the feeling or the sentiment was, but it's not quite as raw. So I'm not laughing when you're, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because I'm laughing with you because I have for sure written many a journal entry that sounds (laughs) lot like that. And I can just appreciate the place from which you wrote that. (laughs) You know, and I consider myself a very average person. Like we talked about, I'll never win a race. Like I'm the back to the, you know, middle of the back of the pack. Like it's just, I I have the ability to go for a long time, but I am not fast. So I go on to say the, the insane part is that nothing hurts. Even the damn blisters have healed. (laughs) That's a good thing. Exactly. Today's conditions were outrageous. I woke to a ridiculous thunderstorm that must have dumped inches of rain. My feet were wet as soon as I started. By 10, I had arrived at Dixville Notch State Park, and it was pouring again. (laughs) I felt fantastic and didn't want to stop, but decided to duck into an old barn and wait it out. An hour later, I finally started again. I got to the junction of Table Rock Trail only to run into the Coas Trail group. I got to meet all of the people. Uh, which was super fun, but I lost another half an hour. So at this point, I'm thinking to myself, am I still going to make my goal mm. to get to the old hermit shelter, given the fact that I had a delay in the rain? It was fun to run into the Coast Trail group, but I, re- I lost more time there. Yeah. Navigation was really tricky out on the ski slopes. So to paint the picture, I'm in the area of the Balsams, which is the old historic resort that's in Dixville Notch. So they take you... Um, So from the panorama shelter, I drop down into where the balsams is, and then you climb up into Dixville Notch. Um, So, you know, 
at some point they take you across the ski slopes. And by the time I came out onto the ski slopes, it was so foggy that I couldn't see any of the markers. Oh, geez. So I'm using um, both my paper map and the data book and my phone to navigate to try to find the next marker, which I was able to do. So my, um, my journal entry goes on to say navigation was really tricky out on the ski slopes. I missed a turn for the Dixville bypass and went up an ATV route. The bypass kicked my ass. Funny to note, I'm out on this bypass and there's an eight, there's ATVs coming up and over the rocks, like doing mm-hmm. some crazy climbing stuff. And the guys are like, do you need a ride? Like, <laughs> like no, I'm good. So I figure out that I had screwed that up. I added about a half a mile um, by doing that bypass or by, by getting off trail, getting off the bypass. So I get back on the bypass and I say, the bypass kicked my ass. I popped out onto the road and proceeded to behave like a crazy person, ripping off my wet clothes and airing out my feet. I'm literally sitting on these rocks. Like most of my clothes are off. <laughs> There's people coming by on ATVs. Like I just didn't care at this point. No. Does it sound like an ultra? <laughs> yes, it does. It sounds very much, you lose a lot of that inhibition at, at a certain point where you're just like, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Exactly. This needs to get done and I don't care what it takes to do it. Nope. Or what it looks like. <laughs> so I hemmed and hawed like, yeah. uh, <laughs> all day about whether or not I was going to make it to Old Hermit. Um, the map is so off. I calculated this as an 18-mile day, and it actually was 26. I, oh, I need to start using the guidebook to see if it's any better. And side note, the guidebook was actually incredibly accurate, so I started using the mileage in the guidebook after this. Mm. I did finally decide upon arriving at the Bald Head, Bald Head Shelter to push on. It was 4.30, and I wasn't tired, which was part of my decision. I felt like I had enough energy to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so notes on the day, I wrote, music helps. Number two, I fell four times the last time in the mud. Oh, <laughs> so no. Literally went down in the mud. Uh, number three, last night I sweat so bad I could hardly sleep, but tonight I'm in my long johns and wearing my jacket. What the fuck? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that just goes to prove the difference in like day to day and elevation to elevation and, you know, the, over the course of, you know, 20 or so miles in distance wise, you can have a whole, you know, host of different things happen. Definitely. And I was, um, I, I definitely was warm enough. I brought the right clothes, but it just, it goes to show you the, the extreme swings that you can experience out there. Um, number four, I thought about quitting in the last three miles tonight. Number five, I thought about taking a zero day. So not hiking on Monday. Number six, my tracker is dying and I don't know if it pushed out the done signals tonight. I had already warned Eric that I wouldn't have service here. I also fucked up on my spare batteries. Oh no. <laughs> Hoping the Percy Lodge will have, have some I can beg for. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, wow, this fucking trail. Today was all of the worst conditions I have ever seen. I dug deep and reminded myself to just keep moving. Um, I'm really glad that I sat down and wrote that entry um, because it, again, I, it helps me to reflect on what that day looked like. I mean, I could look back at the Strava data and be like, yeah, that day was hard. I mean, that was, I did three notches that day and over 5,000 feet of gain, uh, it was, yeah, it was just, it was just over 5,000 feet of gain. So that was a beast of a day. Yeah. That's a serious um, hike. <laughs> And the, the low battery warning is going on my spot tracker and I still had another day to hike. I, I didn't, um, really what it came down to is I thought the spot tracker needed three batteries and it needs four. 
Mm. So I only had three batteries in the pack. So ah. that'll do it. So shit happens. Um, so that was, I'm really, like I said, I'm really glad I documented how hard that day was. If for no other reason than you get to go back and uh, hear your own words reminding you that you are actually capable, you know, of doing this stuff so that in the future, if you're thinking about tackling, you know, something else that you can come back and read that and be like, yeah, this was definitely hard, but look at what I, you know, not just look at the Strava data, but like have a real detailed account of the things that you went through, the strategies that you overcame, like the, you know, the, the lessons that you learned so that you can take them moving forward. Yeah. And I had three more, I did three more days after that before, you know, I finally got, um, made the decision to get off trail. So after the, the tale of three notches, I, um, had one more day that was just shy of 16 miles. And that took me from the shelter to the Percy lodge where I had mailed my next food resupply and I slept in a bed that night, which was really nice. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was wonderful. Karen, who owns the Percy Lodge, is very hiker friendly. So she uh, she loves to have us stroll in off trail. So it was a little over a mile road walk to get to the Percy Lodge. But again, I got there four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I was able to use their kitchen. I baked a pizza. She had frozen pizza. Oh, cool. <laughs> so uh, it was a little bit of luxury for the night. I took a real shower. Um, was able to actually dry my clothes out. So I was able to start the next day um, where I was heading into the Kilkenny Ridge, which was going to be the hardest part of this trail. Um, I decided early on that I was going to break the Kilkenny Ridge into two days. It's, um, it's a trail that I had scouted the entire thing. So I knew how limited water was going to be. I knew a couple of the locations that I could sleep in. So I, again, the heat was it was building, um, for my first day into the Kilkenny. So I made it a. it was just, uh, 12.3 miles was my first day from the lodge to the unknown pond tent site, which was absolutely beautiful. But I took a pretty nasty fall about a mile from the mm. tent site. Um, I was hiking with poles and I had planted both of my poles at the same time. And I went to raise them with my next footstep, but they both got hooked at the same time. So I went down face first onto my knees. So face hits the ground, knees hit the ground. Oh. And I had one of those moments where I'm like, okay, just, just check in and see if anything is destroyed. I don't know how I didn't crack my face open, um, but I got really lucky. I ended up scratching. The spot tracker was scratched. My sunglasses were scratched. Um, but I just did the check-in and I, I was trying to decide if I was going to stop at the unknown pond tent site or if I was going to push on to Cabot Cabin that night. And after the fall, I was like, nope, I'm good. I'm just going to stop. Um, and again, I took advantage of resting. Um, that Thermarest pad came in huge on this whole trip. I'm Again, I can't believe that I went back and forth on taking it because it really did make the difference for me from sitting on the ground or having to be cooped up in my tent to being able to lay out on a pad outside and do that self-care that I really did need to do to keep moving. And I think that's an important part too, is that we, we think about, um, you know, the, the hiking, the gear, the, you know, the distance. And one of the things that can be a key component is baking rest into your day, like 
You yeah. mentioned the legs up the wall a couple times. Just having those little bits of time where you're doing some simple stuff that will help yeah. set you up for success the following day. And this is something that um we talked a lot about when we I we talked about the ragged 75, not only with you, mm. but also with Lorena, Denise, and Nicole about you're not just eating for day one, you're not, you know, running for day one, you're, you're doing that to set yourself up for the subsequent day. So throughout this whole thing, you're making strategic decisions about what do you need right now, but also keeping in mind all of what is yet to come and trying to weigh should I push? Should I stop? And like, you know, those decisions are also really important. And, you know, baking in those little pieces of rest go a long way to helping, Mm. you know, just kind of not prolong your experience, like, so that you wouldn't hit your goal, but making that experience so much more um, palatable, so that you're not just like, pedal to the metal the whole time. Definitely. And and what I learned too is, you know, in previous ultras, I've always been the person that'll um, use just a a chair to sit in one of those camp chairs. If I come into an aid station um, and meet my crew, I'll sit in the camp chair. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to bring the pad and I'm going to lay down, you know, sit down on the pad and, and, you know, stretch and sit. There's so much more value in that pad than there is the chair. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's actually even harder to do the chair because like, you don't have to use everything, you know, and yeah. like to your point, you don't have to stretch out. And I'm a big fan too. Like when I have done long distance races and had, you know, an aid station, a set aid station I mm. can come back to, I'm, I've always got either my yoga mat or like a, a gym mat that I bring yeah. and put out so that I can actually get down. And like, while someone's filling my bladder, I will lay out and I'll like, you know, do some weird stretches and moves and just like try to switch things up so that it's not just moving forwards, you Agreed. know, just the walking or the running, get some like twisting and other variable types of movement in. Yeah, huge. That was definitely a, a one of the biggest takeaways from this trip for me. So you made it through day five. <laughs> I made it through day five. Day five, day five was terrible. <laughs> Wait, no, day, that was day seven. That was day seven. So day six was the old hermit shelter to Percy Lodge. And then day seven was Percy Lodge to the Unknown Pond, where I took the digger. Yep, where you oh. took the digger. Sorry, I'm still back on day five. <laughs> you're like, no, I've, I've made it two more days. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so you're in Kilkenny Ridge. And I, you and I have talked about the Kilkenny Ridge race before. I have not done it. But I was interested when you told me you had kind of like pre-run this section. I was interested because, you know, you read the race description about this one and how difficult it is. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Kilkenny. Yeah, it is every bit as difficult as that race depicts, if not more so. Um, so I did it in a day with um, my friend Holly. So she and I did the exact route that I did going over it as for the Coast Trail. Um, so I knew what I was up against. It is it is just incredibly demanding the whole way. And when you get into the middle of it, the trail isn't very well maintained. So you're climbing over blowdowns and it's just, it's switchback after switchback after switchback. And it's just, it's relentless. Um, so I knew what I was getting into. Um, but I felt, again, I felt prepared. 
So when I started on what would have been, it was my day eight. So that was a 18 and a half mile day. Um, give me a second. That was 18 and a half miles and 5,200 feet of gain. So that was my biggest day of gain. Um, so the, the Kilkenny, the entire thing is around 7,400 feet. Um, so I did most of my climbing of day two of the Kilkenny. And I took that, that day went from Unknown Pond into Jefferson Village. Um, so I, that particular day for me, I was trying to figure out what was next. So I could have either stayed another night in the Kilkenny or I could have dropped down into Jefferson Village because I knew that Israel River Campground would take me without a reservation. So I wanted to see where I was around lunchtime and to see if I felt like I could push into Jefferson Village or if I was going to um, call it a night and uh, look for a stealth campsite. Because at this point, I was in the White Mountain National Forest, so I could adhere to their rules and look for a campsite that was 200 feet off a trail, off a water source. Um, so... I had that option at that point. I didn't, I wasn't restricted to shelters or the Cabot cabin or anything like that. So it got to be about lunchtime and I decided that I had enough in me to push down into Jefferson village. So I made a phone call to Israel river, left them a message said, Hey, if you've got space for me tonight, I would like to come in and explain that I was in the middle of the Kilkenny <laughs> on the voicemail and then to just call me or text me back and let me know if you had space. So um, I did get a message back and they were, they were welcoming. They said, you know, come in whenever. So I, uh, the next thing I did was I checked my messages, my Facebook messages and Mora who had shuttled me to the North had sent me a message and said, let me know when you're in Jefferson. Cause she lives there. Oh, cool. So I shot Mora a message and asked her if I could um, get a ride from the, Star King Trailhead in Jefferson over to Israel River so that I didn't have to do the road walk that night. So mm -hmm. she hooked, I knew she, um, she hooked me up with a, with that ride. So cool. that again, just added, you know, put a little bit more fuel in the fire. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I've got things in place. So now I can push. Mm -hmm. um, so I started pushing my way through the second part of the Kilkenny and <laughs> I got to one of, um, you go through the three weeks peaks. So North Weeks, Middle Weeks, and South Weeks. And South Weeks is probably the most challenging of all of them. There's a lot of blowdowns. I finally got to the summit of um, that peak and South Weeks and found the Carn. And it's just me and the Carn. And I'm just plop myself down and I hear a noise and it's a wooded summit. And I look up and there's a grouse that's stalking me. And I've never. <laughs> So I call them mountain chickens yep. <laughs> and I've never had a good experience with one. They usually stalk me and chase me and they, they cause, they like create this ruckus. So I'm like, yeah, I'm so tired at this point. Like, I don't even care. I look at the chicken and I'm like, come and get me. Like, <laughs> So I'm grabbing my snack and I'm sitting there and the, the grouse is just stalking me, like four feet away from me, stalking me. And I think she finally gave up. She plopped down on the log and just stared at me. Too funny. I was like, I don't even smell human at this point. Like, yeah, God, what do you bring it? 
<laughs> What's their objective? I don't understand. <laughs> like, are they they want snacks from you? Like, why are why is she stalking you? I'm guessing it's we walk into their nesting area, True, or their territory, yeah. and they you know they they chase you out. I get almost every year that we mark the um, the kismet mountain race course, we get chased by one of these crowds. Funny. So mountain chicken and I, we, we made friends. <laughs> um, and this is the first point during this entire trek that I actually um, didn't do a good job managing my food intake. And I actually felt myself start to bunk um, as I was coming. Uh, I'd finally got to Wombeck, which is one of the 4,000 footers. And I, my energy level really like took a dive. So I sat down, again, grabbed some snacks, drank a bunch of water, and just took a second to uh, really check in with myself and see where I was, um, which, again, fuel level came back up. So I made it down into Jefferson Village and got into Israel River Campground, and their store was still open. So I ended up eating an entire bag of chips for dinner. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. The whole thing, the big Oh my God. They, uh, it was great there. They had, uh, laundry facilities, full showers. So I washed all of my clothes, which was great. Um, took a shower and then they had a big, huge day room with a, with couches. So I was able to put my feet up and just chill out for the rest of the night. But this is the point in which I was really starting to dial into the weather because I was about to be entering, uh, the section of the whites that's really exposed. So this the next section, the last section that I didn't end up doing was going to take me up to the southern flank of the presidentials, um, up over Eisenhower and down into the dry river. And we were, when I checked the weather forecast, when I checked both the White Mountain Observatory forecast and a couple of the different mountain forecast recreation sites, I was seeing that we were going to get the remnants of a tropical storm. And they were calling for heavy rain. So I had to make the decision as to whether or not I was going to hunker down because uh, there was no way in hell I was going up over the southern prezies in uh, the wind that was forecasted. So they were talking about 30 to 40 mile an hour winds, 50 degree temps um, and full exposure. So I, I wasn't ready to do that. And we were also talking about wet rock. So for me, it wasn't worth the risk of saying that I had finished the trail. Um, so I had two choices. I could hunker down at the campground for a couple of days and wait it out, which knowing the way that my brain works that that was not going to be an option for me. I was no way I was going to live in that day room for two days or in my tent for two days. Um, I was also in an area where if I, I had decided to hike the next day, I was going back into no cell service. So my thought was if the weather really took a turn, bailing was going to be a problem. Um, it was nice to have made Mora's, uh, you know, her acquaintance. Um, and she ended up coming in key at the end of this thing too. Um, but if I didn't have cell service, I was thinking to myself, you know, was I going to be packing up in torrential downpours, trying to get myself down to 302 where my phone would work? Um, I just didn't want to set myself up for a, you know, potentially a dangerous situation with the weather. Uh, and on top of that, any sort of lodging, indoor lodging in Bretton Woods was four to $500 a night. That's crazy. So that also wasn't an option. <laughs> yeah. So um, I decided at that point that the right thing to do was to pull the plug. 
um, with the last, it would have been about two and a half days worth of hiking left. I already knew what the next 20 miles looked like because I section hiked that last fall. Um, and I already knew what parts of the last day and a half looked like. Um, and with my familiarity with the Southern Prezies, I knew that it, it wouldn't have been as much fun to try to come across that ridge in high winds and rain. And I would rather go back and do that last two and a half days when I could game the weather um, and actually enjoy it. So those all played a factor into my decision making. Which must have been hard too, because, you know, even, even though you know that it's not safe and like the hurricane remnants were coming and you were aware with the geographic region that it was going to be high and wet and slick yep. rock, like there still must have been maybe I'm assuming some part of you that was upset that you had to kind of pull the plug. So how did yeah. you kind of get right? That's my kind of term for that. Like, how did you get right with that decision and, you know, walk away from it feeling okay with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my motto has always been the mountains will still be there. The trail will still be there. Um, I want to be able to, um, stay healthy enough to go back out and do it again. Um, so I was sad, but I, you know, you let yourself be sad, um, you know, feel the feelings. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, um, you know, I focused on what I did get out of the experience rather than that little bit that I missed. Um, and I'm really, I am looking forward to going back. I want to do, I'm happy to do it in the fall conditions because I have a heavyweight sleeping bag. So in not having to carry five days worth of food, I'm okay with that 29 pound pack if it's got more winter gear in it. Um, so again, it, it's going to be an, a different take on the same adventure. So I was okay with it. Yeah, I think like it's important, I think, for people to hear some of these stories too, because we, when it comes to podcasts and races and race recaps a lot of times all we're hearing is the victories yep. and not even necessarily the winning but like finish the thing mm -hmm. and so I think it's always important to hear when things don't go as planned or the way we want them to yep. and how people how athletes handle that and what their, you know, kind of game plan is going forwards. Do they tackle it again? Do they not? Do they move on to something mm. else? Because a lot of times I feel like we attach so much meaning to the thing and it's either completion of the thing or winning the thing or whatever, whatever that goal is yep. that we don't think about, or we actually forget that the whole process of getting there, the process is actually the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we lose sight of that. And so, you know, when, when we have to pull the plug for safety purposes, mm -hmm. we can get wrapped up in, well, I failed or I didn't do it or I didn't achieve my goal. But in reality, you know, all the work that you did leading up to that thing is actually what you really should be focusing on. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's, most important like the outcome for sure it, you you wanted a different outcome mm -hmm. but you learned so much getting to where you are yeah I mean, for me the biggest success was the fact that I trained right for this thing um you know I we just went over the fact that day eight was by 
biggest elevation gain day. I mean, it broke 5,000 with an overnight pack and a full water carry. So like, holy crap, like <laughs> I actually trained right for this thing. I was able to keep moving. I was able to keep consistency. So um, for me, that just, again, adds fuel to the fire. Like, hell yeah, like I, I'm on the right track. So I was really proud of that. Um, yeah, and you for sure could have kept going as as I hear from you. It wasn't, you know, if you, as you explained, it wasn't because of any physical inability. It was strictly weather and safety related, yep. um, you know, that you that you ended up deciding this is a good place to stop, a safe place to stop. Yeah, you know, I'll be I'll be honest. There were other there were those niggles that were starting to to pop up. I was really happy with the way that my legs were doing. My low back was great. So the, you know, the whole pack thing was working out well, but like my feet were a hundred miles sore. Like, <laughs> you know how you get to the point where you're like, you can just feel like the impacts of the concussion over time. But again, it wasn't enough to say, I can't do this. Um, it, you know, it, it was there. Um, but again, putting my feet up and getting as much rest out of each day as I could helped me keep moving forward the next morning. So, so you pulled the plug to, so did you call and for a ride back to your car that night or did you do it the next day? Like, Nope, I did it the next day. Um, so I stayed at Israel river campground that night, ate the entire bag of chips. (laughs) (laughs) Refueled. (laughs) Refueled. Um, and then I had, so I woke up about three in the morning and it was raining. So I'm, you know, scanning through my phone, looking at weather forecasts. Cause I'd already, I had worked on a game plan the night before I had fallen asleep, but knowing in the back of my head that it might get derailed. So woke up at three, went through weather forecasts, came to the decision about a half an hour later that I was probably going to pull the plug, got a couple more hours sleep. And then I shot a text to Mora and asked if she had any time that day to run me back to my car. Like I didn't care if I had to hang out at the campground all day. Um, and she wrote back to me and she told me how proud she was of me for making the safe decision, um, with the weather forecast. So she, um, she came and picked me up a couple hours later and ran me back to my car. So she came in clutch at the end. She seems clutch all the way through. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely cool lady and she cares about the well-being of the people that she meets. So, um, she made this so much easier for me than it could have been um, just by being, you know, being present in the area. So being able to get me back to my car, because I could have done, I probably could have gotten back to my car that day on my own two feet by hiking the 20 mile section and then road walking 302 and then maybe hitchhiking or doing whatever it took. Um, But having her there made that a much, uh, made a better, it made it a better ending for me. Yeah, for sure. It's always good to have, you know, whether it's a friend or a family member or a paid service like Mora to be able to like, you know, keep you safe, right? Like you've already done so much work, so much effort and to have someone there that can do some thinking for you and like help solve some of those logistical issues is like, it's huge. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely huge. So you went home. What was the first thing that you, what were you looking forward to doing first? Um, visiting the animals. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So I pull into the driveway and my husband opens the door. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is eight days was long enough. 
never eight, missed. <laughs> eight days of him going to the grocery store and doing the house things all by himself. <laughs> so, so yeah, I felt welcomed home. Um, and from there, it was just rest. So I was very tired for probably four days. Um, I'm not a napper. I took four days, like I napped for four days. <laughs> Um, so it was just about, you know, refuel, eat whatever I wanted, take as much time as I needed to sleep. I did end up going back to work, um, checked in at work uh, a couple of days, just a few hours each day, but just really just self-care. Um, and since then I've, you know, I'm back to lifting, I'm cycling, I'm not running yet. Um, so there's, I had an old injury, um, in my right ankle. So, uh, the tendon that runs down your ankle and attaches to your, your little toe, um, that flared up for me, um, when I came off trail. So I'm just letting it finish doing its thing, let it heal. Um, but you know, I'm doing short hikes, I'm cycling, I'm lifting. So just listening to my body at this point. Good. So good. Yeah. So are you going to do the whole thing again? Are you just going to finish the last two days? Like what's your... Yeah, no, so definitely going to finish the last two days this fall because um, it'll be a good fall hike for me. And I would love to go back and do it again. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll go back and do it southbound again or if I'll try it northbound next time and hike out of the whites, but it's I'm definitely going back. I loved it. I will probably do it a little different next time. Um, maybe stay at the shelters I didn't stay at, or maybe even, um, do it over the course, like do, um, five days and then go back and do another five days mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, there's a variety of different ways that I can do it, but I'm going back to see it again. You have unfinished business. <laughs> I have unfinished business <laughs> for sure. I love it. Yeah, it was a good time. I love it. And again, it just, it added fuel to the fire. So I'd love to go back and do um, another hundred miler. And the, while I'm out there, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is great mental preparation as well as physical preparation to put a hundred miler on the books. Um, so again, just working towards what's the next goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting take on hundred miler training. Like we always, we think about training in a certain way for a certain thing, but there are to use an expression that doesn't really have any like synergy here, but like there are a million ways to skin a cat. Like you can yep. get there by doing a variety of things that work for your body. Uh, one of the things yep. I talk about all the time is I only really run four days a week and mm -hmm. I do other things on other days. I ride my bike. I walk a lot. I do, you know, lots of strength and mobility stuff, but I'm only really running four days a week. And a lot of people think that's crazy. How do you, how do you only run four days? But it took me a lot of time and a lot of practice to realize that I can't do five, six, seven days worth of pounding, um, that my body needs this other kind of movement. And so to train for a hundred milers or for 50 or for this hike or for whatever, you can implore a bunch of different modalities to get yourself yep. there. A lot of it is, yeah, you need to build time on your feet, but you need to also build your aerobic capacity and your physical stamina. So mm -hmm. we can't just do the one thing. We have to think about it as kind of a 360 degree approach pulling in from all sorts of other things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a, a new way of training for me. That's awesome. And I loved it. <laughs> so, and it's a really great story. Like, again, it's, it's so great to hear that, you know, you're taking on this challenge that's 
a little bit outside your comfort zone that is, you know, similar to running, but, you know, in a, a completely other genre, there's logistics, there's, you know, all the gear that's involved, there's the strategic decision. So I think it's good, at least I think about it from, you know, it's a way to challenge your brain to do mm -hmm. something similar, but also different and challenge your capacity, right? Your capacity yeah. to do work, your capacity to uh, overcome, to overcome physical and those mental and even those emotional challenges of like, you know, oh, yeah. just being out there and being moving and being by yourself for, you know, a few days, mm -hmm. dealing with <laughs> the chickens in the woods, <laughs> <laughs> the mountain chickens, the mountain chickens. <laughs> I'm surprised that you didn't have any other wildlife encounters. No, I was sad. I was tracking a very large moose for about a mile and a half. Um, but no moose, no bear, a lot, lot of bear poop. Um, but no, no other wildlife encounters. That's good. So, I mean, that's one yeah. last thing to really worry about. But. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it was definitely an experience. Um, and it just drove the point home that I, I do enjoy doing this. So yeah, we should always do more of what we enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> well, Heather, I really want to thank you for coming back and kind of breaking down this experience. And we could sh for sure spend hours like going through oh, yeah. like all of the details. And, you know, I'm sure I'm going to speak for you for a second, but I'm sure that if someone has like specific questions, maybe even about like the gear that you carried or, you know, kind of how you did your food situation, like that you would be willing to like chat with Definitely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, please, um, please reach out to me because I'm happy to talk about any of the things because uh, I love it. Yeah, and I always feel like it's good um, because you can help kind of shortcut the process. It's easier if you can kind of ask people who have done this stuff that before you, like what worked and what didn't. And then you can kind of make the decision, you know, like you chose to take your sleeping pad, like that Thermarest. Someone else might choose to make a different decision, but it, I think it's worth hearing you know, what a bunch of people did yep. in order to start to filter those decisions to know what's going to work and what, what you want to leave behind and what you want to take with you. Oh, for sure. I mean, YouTube and blogs and other podcasts, you know, those were how I got my knowledge. And then, you know, I decided I started to play with what um, I thought might work and dial some of that stuff in. So yeah, I'm happy to share my perspective. And the practice too. The, you actually need to go out and practice with it, whether it's, you know, in your backyard to start with and then start to, you know, take longer hikes or runs. I mean, we talk yep. about this a lot when it comes to ultra running, practicing with your stuff, but it's even more important in kind of this context where you're not seeing people for days, you don't have any stock. Yeah. You have to like be very self-reliant. So you really have to dial that stuff in and get really confident with mm -hmm. what you're taking, how much you're taking, how you're going to use it, you know, yep. like making sure that you know how to use your, um, your jet boil or whatever the thing is yep. you're going to take to boil your exactly. water or filter your water or, you know, do your basic self-care thing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Heather. Uh, I'm excited to hear what your next uh, challenge is going to be and when you decide what that is. And we'll invite you back and we can talk Yay! about it some more. <laughs> Fantastic. And I cannot wait to hear about the Barclays. Oh, so. God. Don't remind me. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? That's always a uh, roll, roll of the dice. Yeah, I was going to say shit show, but like... <laughs> 
Yeah, that's kind of where I'm feeling about it right now. You know, you you enter the last two weeks before the race and you start to, you know, have some of those same same thoughts like you were having in your in your journal, like, have I done enough? Have I done enough of the right stuff? Am I up for this? Can I do this? What the fuck am I doing? What did I get myself into? <laughs> like all of the questions. Um, and then, you know, you have to, it comes down to what I just keep reminding myself is that I've done all the work. Now it's time to just go out and execute. And so you just have to, you know, show up. And and this is one of those things where you, I have the added advantage of having done the race before, but the course is not going to be the same. So, I mean, <laughs> like you know, I, I I have prepared for what I did the last time, and that's basically all I can use to gauge going forwards. And I just have to get right with the fact that I'm going to show up the day before, or even the morning of, and not know where I'm going to run until they hand me that super special map that's not very descriptive. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And then you just have to keep moving. And then you have to keep moving. And one of the things that um, one of the things that Laz said at one point was, "You must run everything that's runnable." And that is the one thing that I just kept thinking in my head the last time. And I ran so much stuff the last time that I would not have run otherwise. And I think that kept me ahead of the time cutoff. Okay. So at least you, you can game some of the elements of the race. Yeah. And to, yeah, to your point, like you just have to keep moving. Like Mm -hmm. you don't know, you, you don't know how many miles it is from, I mean, like you could probably guesstimate, but you have no like real way of knowing. Mm -hmm. So, and you're not allowed a GPS device. So, um, I mean, you can have like a basic watch, watch, yeah. I'm not even going to wear a watch because I think I didn't, I didn't wear one last time and it just stressed me out. It would stress me out to like, see the time. I would just rather know I got to go and I got to keep going. Light (laughs) that fire under your ass. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like I just, yeah. You just got to keep moving as fast as you can and uh, as efficiently as you can, not getting lost, you know, and like, Right. Not Save kidding. as many minutes as you can be as efficient as yeah. possible. Yeah, exactly. I'm excited That's to hear about plan. it. That's my game plan. I got no other game plan than just run. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, good luck. You're going to be amazing. <laughs> there will be a story and slash multiple stories to tell regardless of whether I finish or not. But I keep telling myself the same thing that I told myself last time, which is I'm not going all this way, yeah. not to finish. Exactly. So run as much as you can, mm-hmm. run everything that you possibly can. And I didn't come all this way not to fucking finish. That's, <laughs> that's what I kept telling my, if anyone wants a race mantra, that is what I kept telling myself the last time. You didn't come all this way not to fucking finish. Yep. Now run. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am looking forward to it. Me too. It's always, it's always an adventure. So we'll definitely, yeah, this will come out <clears throat> the week that I am at Barkley, I think. And then, um, we'll do a Barkley race, race recap and Good. dish on all the, the fun Barkley stories. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks Thank Heather. You. It was really good to see you and to hear you your too. race recap. And I look forward to 
following on all your adventures, whether they are ultras, whether they are hiking adventures, or whatever you come up with. I've said it before, and I will say it again, Heather is a badass, you guys. I hope that you enjoyed listening to both the original episode and this recap, and at the same time, I hope that it inspires you to make that bucket list of adventures, just like Heather talked about, and set to work trying to check them off. As she mentioned, she is happy to answer questions about any and all of it, so I would highly recommend that you follow her on social media at Spotted Images. I'll drop her um, handle in the show notes and definitely share whatever that bucket list of adventures is for you out on your social media and be sure to tag both of us so that we can follow along. So at the end there, you heard us talking about the Barkley Fall Classic, and that's a race that I actually did last weekend, and I'm working on a race recap of my own that's going to come out next Friday, October 1st. Make sure you're subscribed to the show in order to hear just all of the shenanigans that happened down in Tennessee. The BFC never, never, never disappoints, and so I'm really looking forward to sharing that experience with you. One last thing before you go, I just want to remind you that the next round of Run Farther, Faster, Stronger is coming up here pretty darn quick. But in the meantime, if you want to get a jump start on all of the work that we will do in that program, I would highly encourage you to check out my four-week self-paced program called The Essentials. I will drop the link down in the show notes, but all you have to do is go to www.megan-gould.com forward slash essentials, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S, and check it out. I would highly recommend it. It's going to be the foundation for everything that we do in the next round of Run Farther, Faster, Stronger, and not to toot my own horn, you guys, but I am really excited about this next round because I'm putting together a ton of new resources. We're pulling in new people, new guest speakers. It's basically going to be Run Farther, Faster, Stronger on steroids. So if you're interested, get the essentials. You can also get on the early bird slash waiting list to be notified about registration and applications for the program. And I will put that in the show notes as well. That's all for this week, you guys. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. Thank you.